we're not hitting on all cylinders. You know, we're hurting ourselves with negative yards plays and missed throws and turnovers at the wrong time and not being on the same page uh, too many times. Whether I'm missing a throw or we're not in the spot I think we're going to be at, it's happening in the, in the in the worst times. You know, when we have to play our best in those crunch times, we haven't been playing our best. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM. 580 AM streaming live at WKTYsports.com. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, hope you're having a great Monday. Weeks off to a good start. Thanks for making me and the Wisco Sports Show a part of your Monday evening. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Regardless of how the Packers did yesterday, I truly enjoy that you, I truly hope that you're enjoying your Monday. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Last night's game was a letdown, to say the very least. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about here today. I don't want to waste any time. We have a ton to uncover, and I hope you're going to be part of it today with me as well. 608-796-2558 as we hopefully dive into your phone calls and your texts on the 5 Star Telecom talking text line all show long as we react to the Packers' very underwhelming, disappointing, and overly unimpressive loss in Foxborough last night on Sunday Night Football. It was billed as a battle of the goats. Well, I don't think one quarterback really outshined the other. I just think I was... Very underwhelmed, very let down as a Packers fan uh, for a game that I had been looking forward to for a long time. You can also get in touch with me and the show on Twitter. You can tweet at the station at WKTY. Doesn't get much easier than that. And you can find me on Twitter at KeystrokerGrand as well. I hope to be getting into some of your reactions and your thoughts and uh, your emotions as well as the show rolls on. Uh, First of all, just a couple overarching thoughts yesterday. And I talked about this last week on Thursday and we were kind of talking uh, about the New England game all week long, right? As, as we were, you know, we were getting past the loss in, in Los Angeles for what it was. They they played well, but not well enough to beat a really good team on the road. And that's what it was. So let's look past it. Let's try to see if the Packers can build on it. We were looking towards New England all week. We were getting excited for Sunday night football. And only the second time that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are going to meet as starting quarterbacks. And, and it was built up and built up and built up. And I told you last week, look, I'm pretty pessimistic. I'm, 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 I'm a realist. But I, I had a great feeling about what the Packers were going to do on Sunday night. I thought they were going to build on what they did in Los Angeles. I thought the offense was going to continue to gain rhythm. And these rookie wide receivers were going to continue to get better. And Aaron Jones is going to get slightly more carries. And Jimmy Graham is going to continue to build chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. And God, was I wrong about every single bit of it. I still don't get this team. I don't get a single part of what this team does on offense. Not a single. I, 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 you might as well be talking to a random person because I don't, I don't get anything about this team. I doubt you do either. This team should be so much better. They only scored 17, 17 points last night. New England's defense is meh. It's fine. It's, it's nothing amazing. They have a great corner in Stephon Gilmore. Lawrence Guy's pretty good. Van Noy's pretty good. That's about it. That's about it. They traded away Chandler Jones. They've gotten rid of defensive stars in the past just to save money. And, and I think to make a point, this defense isn't star-studded. Patrick Chung is an experienced player. He's been there for a while. I'm not going to say he's a superstar. And the Packers mustered 17 points. You're not winning. You're not winning in Minnesota. You're not winning in Detroit. You're not winning in Chicago. Only scoring 17 points, let alone go into New England. 
And why? And like, like I said, we looked back at the Los Angeles game last week, and we all thought, man, they're going to build on this, right? They got rid of Ty Montgomery, which means Aaron Jones is going to be featured even more. Jamal Williams probably going to have a nice role as well. This running game's coming together nicely. This offense finally getting some momentum. Aaron Rodgers, I think, finally getting over that little injury and, and finally pushing that aside without the knee brace last night. Mike McCarthy's going to have his best game cooked up. And I know you guys were just as excited as I was talking to you last week. This was the most excited I have been for a Packers game since the Super Bowl in 2010. And I'm not kidding. I'm 100% not kidding. I have never been this excited for a football game minus the Super Bowl in 2010. And God, was I let down. And why why were we fooled, right? (laughs) Why did we let this fool us? It was the same thing that we always see from Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers and this Packers team ever since 2014. I don't know what it's been. It just hasn't been the same. 2014 was the last time that this offense could consistently, whether at home or on the road, compete. Down in and down out, not make stupid mistakes, not turn the ball over at the worst time, and not basically invent ways to lose. Yesterday, you saw the Patriots when that game started. You saw Tom Brady, the 40-plus-year-old Tom Brady, get the ball. I have never seen a team that so far this season the Packers have played move that fast. They were taking 15 seconds in between plays. They were getting up on the line so dang fast. And they drove the ball down Green Bay's throat and scored a touchdown on the opening possession. And that's not just by luck. The Patriots knew, all right, Mike Pettin in this defense likes to come out on the first possession, maybe play a little Manila. Maybe try to take the temperature of the game. So what we're going to do is jump on them early. We're going to gear up the tempo. Doesn't matter what we're going to do on the next possession. But for, but for this first possession, we want to make an emphasis to gear up the speed, gear up the number of plays we're running. Don't allow substitutions. Don't allow adjustments. And we're going to catch this Manila opening defense for Mike Pettin on their heels. And we're going to score a touchdown and we're going to get the crowd into it right away. And damn it, that's exactly what happened. Just a just a a brilliant example of what not only Josh McDaniels, but the entire staff in New England and and all the players in New England understand. They wouldn't have done that two weeks ago. If they go into Buffalo, they're probably not going to do that on the opening drive, but that's what they did yesterday against the Green Bay Packers because they knew they recognized things on tape and they created a game plan around it. Brilliantly. That's what New England does. And on the other side of the coin, you have Green Bay, who I could have told you, my little brother Christian, he hates sports. He could have told you, the Patriots are going to come into this game, they're going to take away Devontae Adams, or they're going to try their best, and they're probably going to take away Jimmy Graham. They're going to live with Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, Randall Cobb, Equinemius St. Brown. They're going to live with those guys making plays, but they're not going to allow Devontae Adams, they're not going to allow Jimmy Graham to beat them. And for the most part, they did pretty well. They don't really have that lockdown corner that they've had. They don't have Darrell Rebus anymore. Stephon Gilmore's pretty good, and they made a, a conscious effort to shut down both of those, those big passing efforts. And on, the, and on that offensive side of the ball as well, they're going to try to keep Aaron Rodgers contained in the pocket. They're probably not going to blitz a whole lot. They're going to bring four guys, and they're going to try to set up a little pocket around Aaron Rodgers and keep him right there. See if they can't get him nervous, can't get him seeing ghosts and throwing the ball too early. Don't allow him on the outside. Don't allow him to play in space and get creative because that's when they lose. And that's exactly what the Patriots did all game long on defense, and the Packers were still helpless to stop it. They could not score. And we're going to, as we move on into the show, we're actually going to go through the possessions and what it looked like in this game because the inconsistency is baffling. It's baffling. The game plan of New England was out there. It was clear and everybody knew it. Take away 17. Take away Jimmy Graham. We're going to let Valdez Scantling see if he can beat us. And by the way, he almost did. 
I, 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 I cannot wrap my mind around why the Packers... Like, this was obvious. This was obvious. I thought, well, they're going to have a game plan to get MVS involved and, uh, and Equinemius St. Brown and, and, heck, maybe even Randall Cobb here and there who had a, a, a silent night uh, aside of a couple passes that he caught behind the line of scrimmage. But no, they came out, they rolled their same crap out. Same, let's run it down to one second on the on the play clock. Let's, on third and four, let's send all our wide receivers in isolation routes 20 yards down the field. Just no situational awareness. No, no showing of creative scheme or unique scheme. Forget creative. Let's talk about unique. You play a different team every week. How about showing different things every week? New England does. They came out on the first drive and said, Mike Penton likes to play on his heels. He likes to kind of take the temperature on the first drive. All right, we'll give him a temperature to take, and we're going to pound it down their throat as fast as we can possibly go. And the Packers said, well, we have Aaron Rodgers. These are our guys. Uh, I guess we're in Foxborough this week. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> really? That's it. That's what you brought to last night's game. That's what we all got so excited for. That's what we got so hyped for. To see you roll out the same crap that's been rolled out all season long. And what what didn't happen, Aaron Rodgers didn't have his Superman cape on. He played pretty well, didn't play great, played good enough for the Packers to win, but he wasn't Superman like he has been this year. And because of that, you lost, really in an embarrassing fashion. You, you make one mistake, you fumble on offense, and you let the whole game fall apart. And I know everybody's going to talk about how the, how the Aaron Jones fumble was the turning point of that game, and it absolutely was. But the Packers' offense, for lack of a better term, soft-footed around the entire game with no purpose, with no consistency, with no edge, with no tempo whatsoever and just waited for the Patriots to finally catch a little fire and that's exactly what they did in the fourth quarter. And what's the, well, Aaron Jones has got to fix his fumbling issue. No! Running backs are going to fumble. Deal with it. Figure out how to deal with it as an offense. You can't just say, well, you know, if Aaron Jones doesn't fumble, you know, the Packers might score. They might go ahead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they might have. Tom Brady missed a couple of throws. You can't say that derailed the entire game for the Patriots. Stupid. Stupid what we saw from Green Bay yesterday. We're talking about it all hour long here on the Wisco Sports Show. 608-796-2558 as the Packers fall to, geez, what are they? 3-4-1. and 3-4-1, and one, a game below the 500 mark where the Patriots rise to 7-2. and two. Look, for, battle, for the battle of the goats, for what it was being called last night, I don't think either quarterback looked brilliant. I thought Brady looked a little bit more consistent. I thought Rodgers made some errors, but they weren't in the forms of missed throws or anything like that. I just, eh, whatever. We're going we're gonna to keep talking about it. I need you guys to help me out. 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talking text line. I want to talk a little bit more about this Packers offense coming up next. Specifically, why are they so inconsistent? We're going to run down some of the drives and, and see how they go hot to cold to hot to cold throughout the game. And it, and it blows my mind. I want to hear your thoughts. We're going to hear from a couple people on the Five Star Telecom talk and text line. Coming up next year on the Wisco Sports Show, I'm your host, Grant Bills. You're listening to WKTY. There's the fumble yesterday, the turning point in the game, but uh, not really the topic of conversation I want to tackle today here on the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. Look, a lot went wrong in the game yesterday. One fumble cannot derail an entire game, especially when it's your only turnover 
And I don't think it's an excuse for four quarters of offensive inconsistency and ineptitude. That's what we're talking about so far, but I want to hear what you have to say as well. 608-796-2558. Let's go to the five-star telecom talk and text line. Rick in lacrosse. What's going on today, Rick? Okay. Well, my opinion is the problems go deeper than just the one game. And I think you can pin almost all of this on Ted Thompson. And here's my story, if you can give me 30 seconds. Absolutely. By re- by refusing, almost refusing to go to um, the free agent market, um, on any given year, let's say the average NFL player lasts five years. Yeah. Well, if two free agents a year that you spot all the other teams in the league, that's ten positions where you could have possibly improved your team. Other teams did it, you didn't. You fall behind them. Now, step two, you're going to draft and develop. You've got to be almost perfect on the draft and develop, or you're in trouble since you're not doing the free agent thing. How many? You, do you know how many players are on the current roster from three years ago draft? 2015. I think Ty Montgomery was the last one. Jake Ryan's on IR. Yeah, I think that's it, it right? Yeah, exactly. Zero. And if you go to the two drafts before that, that three-year period, 13, 14, and 15, how many active players on the roster? Do you, have, do you know what that number is? Oh, It's not a whole lot. Three, okay? So you have to be 100%, almost 100% dependent upon the draft and develop, and you've got, from that three-year period, only three players on your team. That means you're drafting not... You're you're half your team being developed by the free agents, not the ones that are out there for the big dollars. We're talking about the ones that got cut or didn't make other teams. Yeah. I'm just saying the roster is thin. It's paper thin, and this problem's going to last several years. No, I, I completely agree, Rick, and, and you brought it today. Thank you. I, I appreciate that on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Rick, and, and don't say, hey, if you could just give me 30 seconds, Rick, I'll give you 30 seconds anytime to rant about the previous uh, draft classes of this team. And I agree. We, we talked at length last week about some of these draft classes, especially of the last three or four years. And how because that the Packers don't have a spring right now of young talent, cheap talent, bubbling up to, to take the places of some of these aging players, like the fact that they have Tremont Williams out there. I like Tremont Williams, but he's expensive. He's probably more injury prone than a younger player. And, and he's more expensive, like I said. Now, last night I did a Facebook live chat during, uh, during halftime, and somebody commented that, that Brian Bulaga, they need to find a replacement. Well, they did try to find a replacement. That's why they drafted Jason Spriggs, who filled in, he did an okay job last night. But because when you miss on, on those draft picks, you become reliant on, on those older veterans who are more expensive and more injury-prone. Perfect example is Brian Bulaga. I like Brian Bulaga. But eventually, the Packers have to move on. They have to find the next generation of talent. And, and right now, I, I think they have good players on defense, Rick. I think they have good players on defense. I don't think they have any great players. I like Kenny Clark. But I don't think he is elite. I don't think he's going to spin a game on its head just by a play or two. They have a bunch of good players. They don't have any stars, and eventually you need to find one of those in the draft. Let's go back to the five-star telecom talk and text line. Caller, it's going to be tough to follow. Rick, what do you got to say? Hey, I'm uh, just thinking we talk about the two goats, right? Yeah. Aaron Rodgers and Brady. Uh, big difference I see is just kind of, and I know I don't hate, I hate to criticize the coach and criticize McCarthy, but just the creative play calling. Patriots didn't look exceptional. What jump-started them was the creativity, just the Edelman screen pass, yep. bring James White down the sideline, um, the fake wide receiver screen, just a little more creative. I mean, I think we all can agree Aaron Rodgers is a better athlete than Tom Brady, 
and with a little more creativity on the offensive end, I think more of that would shine and help us out. Um, I'll, I'll hear your comments after this. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate the call anytime. Uh, five-star telecom talking text line, always open, 608-796-2558. Look, creativity, ingenuity, whatever you want to call it, the, the Packers, they're stale on offense. And, and that's the word that's been thrown around with Mike McCarthy. Look, I don't think anybody denies that he's a good football coach. And I, I know you said you don't want to badmouth the coach. Well, you're just about the only one. Uh, you you walk around lacrosse today talking Packers. People are, are so quick to hate on Mike McCarthy. And I think on its face and at face value with good reason because this offense hasn't appeared to change since 2015. It's the same isolation routes. We're going to allow Aaron Rodgers to drop back and dictate a lot of the things that happen, you know, at the line of scrimmage in terms of running or passing. And we're going to allow our wide receivers to get down the field and run isolation routes. Get open and Aaron Rodgers will find you because he's that good. Well, as Aaron Rodgers ages or he goes through spells of inconsistency as all players do, it's harder to find those wide receivers, especially if they're covered well. It's not a consistent form of offense. And when it's not working, it's 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 awful to watch, as we saw yesterday at times. So lack of creativity, I agree. I, I'm not saying the Packers need to start throwing flea flickers all over the place or start running double passes. I, I don't really think that's what they are. And we saw that, was that two weeks ago or was it against the Niners where they tried to run some semblance of the play that Philadelphia ran in the Super Bowl two years ago and it, and it went horribly. You had linemen running into each other. Look, you don't need to, you don't need to put up a front and run gadget plays like that if you're the Packers. But you got to do something different. The Patriots, as an example, I said this earlier in the show, first drive, they came out at breakneck speed, ready to go, because they knew. They recognized something that week, and they planned accordingly to come out. They didn't play that way the rest of the game, but they knew that there was something that they could take advantage of on that opening drive. The Packers are running the same offense for every game in Foxborough, in Detroit. If they play the Raiders in Mexico City, or if they play the Jaguars in London, they're going to show up with the same offense, and nothing ever changes, because that's the way that Mike McCarthy likes to do things. And when Aaron Rodgers is playing like Superman, a lot of times it works. And it looks really cool, and it's fascinating and exciting to watch. But at some point, you have to scheme a little bit. You have to put together some route combinations. You have to put together some interesting plays. I'm not saying you got to run flea flickers. not saying you got to run double passes. But you need something. Or the defense is just going to sit there, pin their ears back, and get into a rhythm. Because they know what's coming each and every play. Especially when you run the play clock down to one second every flipping play. And we'll get into the net. In the next segment, uh, coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, more off the five-star telecom talking text line. Uh, this texter says, hey, we don't have your name, so if you want to text back with your name as well, we'd love to have it. Uh, what is the Packers' game plan on offense? I really think McCarthy is on the radio with a monkey calling his plays for him. Third downs, they have receivers 10 to 15 yards past the first down marker. It doesn't make sense. Outcoached and outplayed. Good teams overcome adversity. Clearly, this team is not good. Well, there's a lot to package in there, and thank you for the text. Like I said... If you want to text back with your name, where you're from, anything like that, we'd love to have just a little bit more info. We'd like to announce you. We'd like to give you credit on this program, right, here on WKTY. Same with Dave and Scrady in the mornings. Uh, A lot to unpack. Well, first of all, let's address the play calling a little bit. The play calling was, it's stale. It's very repetitive, and it's the same thing we've seen. And you said McCarthy is on the radio with the monkey calling his plays. Look, I don't know the role of Joe Philbin, as he is the, the current standing offensive coordinator on this team. I don't know his role in play calling. I don't. I don't know what say he has maybe throughout the week or heck even in a game situation. But for the most part, the play calling is a combination of McCarthy and Rodgers. What McCarthy phones in, what Rodgers 
receives and, and decodes and then what he sees at the line of scrimmage. So we don't really know what happens to the play along the way. It's like a game of telephone, right? I, I could whisper something, you hear it a little bit differently, and on and on down the line, the more the more people it goes through, it could change along the way. That's not a literal interpretation, right? Aaron Rodgers isn't mishearing Mike McCarthy. He's just taking it in, going to the line of scrimmage, and taking his time, as we've, as we've seen this season, uh, and, and maybe making adjustments, maybe calling an audible, maybe going from a run to a pass or vice versa. So it is some sort of combination. I think whenever we want to criticize Mike McCarthy for a play call, we also need to keep in mind that Aaron Rodgers has the opportunity to audible out of that play. I'm not saying it's always on on Rodgers to to cover for Mike McCarthy and audible when he sees something. And then there's times where maybe Mike McCarthy has the correct play call, then Aaron Rodgers changes it away. Now, all of that is typically going to fall on McCarthy because he is the play caller, he is the head coach, and ultimately he is not the two-time MVP Super Bowl winning future Hall of Fame quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is. And I understand that. But there is a balance to be found. And I think that balance right now is out of whack. And that's one of the things that needs to be changed. Uh, In terms of third down, you said there was a third down and four in the second half. And you look at the routes that were being run, they're all 10, 15 yards down the field. And you talked about that in your text as well. It doesn't make any sense. There's a time to dink and dunk and try to get your your quarterback in a rhythm. And I think part of that, that turn and burn start that the Patriots had, tempo, 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 let's run plays, let's run plays, was part of Tom Brady getting in a rhythm, getting a little comfortable under the bright lights in this huge game that I'm sure both of them were incredibly hyped up to play. Belichick and McDaniel said, all right, let's get Tom in a rhythm early. Let's take away some of his stress and some of his responsibility and say, these are your scripted plays, we're going to run them, and we're going to run them as fast as we flip and can, get down the field and score. And and doing that, in part, gives Tom Brady a chance to get into a rhythm. And that's just another reason why the play calling is just skewed between McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, because it is truly a team effort between the two of them. Every play that is run is some sort of a child of Aaron Rodgers' brain and Mike McCarthy's brain, deciphering and taking things in and then spitting it out at the line of scrimmage, like I said, often at the last second. Uh, when I come back, I, I want to talk, we, we we are late for a break here, but when I come back, I want to talk a little bit about tempo. This is something that I actually didn't hear talked about until this week uh, on, on in Packers writing and in Packers media, and I think it's a really useful conversation to have. So we're going to talk about tempo. Was I the only one? I can't be the only one noticing the Packers taking the play clock down to literally a half a second, almost to zero at some times on every single play so far this year. Never used to be that way. You don't have to go very far back when this Packers offense was a no-huddle, fly, high-flying machine. Uh, due to, in part, the, the offensive coordinator who is back on the staff this year. W- why the difference? Why the change? And I think it's causing a lot of problems. We're going to talk about them all coming up next. You're on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills, 96.7 FM, 580 AM. You can always stream live at WKTYsports.com or on our mobile app. If you haven't downloaded it, you should uh, should certainly do so. Uh, we're talking Packers today, obviously, as they fall 31-17 to yesterday. And that highlight right there, one of the few highlights and one of the... The bright spots, the feel-good spots for this Packers offense in particular. I think there's plenty to be excited about on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Players-wise, the unit has played well at times. They played well enough to win for sure. Um, But a lot of exciting players specifically on the defensive side of the ball. Marquez Valdez-Scantling with another good game last night. And before I I get into the the big topic that I especially wanted to get onto today, not just ranting and and angry points and talking with you fine listeners, of course, uh, I want to talk about tempo. So before we get there, I do got to share you with this because I saw it on Twitter earlier. Uh, Zach Cruz, writer for the Packers Wire, 
Contributor to PackersNews.com as well. Six of Marquez Valdez-Scantling's last seven catches have gained 20 or more yards. Here are his last six catches. 30 yards, 60 yards, 5 yards, 40, 51, 24, 26. Now, I'm not saying. Hang in. Hang in with me here. I'm not saying that he is the next all-pro wide receiver. I'm not saying he's uh, he's Donald Driver. He's Jordy Nelson. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is the Packers fans and in media and everybody has said for a long time, ever since 2014 when Jordy Nelson lost a step, they have needed a guy who can take the top off of defense. There you go. I think you got your guy. Uh, now it's up to McCarthy and Rodgers to see how they want to use him. And Joe Philbin and the rest of that staff, of course, but... Uh, ultimately, the blame and the success is going to fall on the shoulders of Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. Look, a- another adjustment the Packers didn't make last night, another thing they didn't scheme for, Patriots don't deal well with speed. You saw that against Kansas City and Tyree Kill as he just ate that team alive. And with Jacksonville as well, smart or fast wide receivers like D.D. Westbrook. I mean, they have some speed. Both of those teams have speed, and they utilized it, and they they leaned on that in the games. Last night, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is a speed demon and has shown the ability to run a good route and catch the ball and have a connection with Aaron Rodgers, on top of just being fast. We, we've seen fast guys. We've seen Trevor Davis. We've seen Jeff Janis. Valdez-Scantling looks a little bit more complete. And for whatever reason, the Packers didn't utilize that speed enough last night. And when they did, it was successful. They didn't really go back to it all that much. Uh, and, and speaking of speed, I, I want to talk about tempo. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's show. Uh, something that just didn't keep me up last night, but this is something that I've been thinking about for a while now. I take you back, I, I don't know, to 2013, 2014 especially. Well, heck, 2011, if you can remember back that far and remember details is a great example of this too. The Packers were one of the first teams, minus Chip Kelly, who did it a couple years later, to really standardize no huddle offense in terms of bang, bang, bang. We're going to get a play. We're going to, we're not going to huddle. We're going to get lined up right away. So the defense doesn't have time to substitute. They made that commonplace in the offense week in and week out. Now there were situations and there were times where teams would do that. And I can imagine you can go back years and years, decades and decades of teams that were doing that. But in 2011, the Packers really grabbed a hold of that. And then you saw other teams doing it as well. Now, Chip Kelly from his college experience at Oregon, I think really uh, grabbed hold of that. And other teams did as well. But the Packers standardized that. They made that commonplace. Much like the Eagles, now they, once again, weren't the first team to do RPOs, but made it commonplace. Made it a topic of conversation last year. That was the Packers in 2011 with no huddle. And they continued to do that in 2012, 13, 14, when they made the NFC Championship game. They were fast. They wanted to run a lot of plays. And why wouldn't you, if you do, in fact, have the best or close to the best quarterback in football, if not of all time, in Aaron Rodgers? Wouldn't you want to run as many plays and get as many touches as possible? Now, if you've watched the Packers this year, and, and this is kind of matriculated from last year as well. Last year, not a, a huge sample size with Brett Hundley playing the majority of the year. This Packers team is never in a hurry. Never. Hand the ball off, throw a pass. All right, play's blown dead. Clock's running, or maybe it's not, but the play clock, of course, starts at 40. Tick, 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 tick. You have 40 seconds. You can huddle, you can sugar huddle, or you can go no huddle. doesn't matter. A lot of the times, the Packers are getting up to the line somewhere around 15 to 19 seconds left on the play clock. Somewhere in there, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, as opposed to 25 or 30. If they were doing no huddle, they would probably be lined up 15-ish seconds after the play clock uh, starts, after the conclusion of the last play, and they're going to want to get that ball snapped as soon as possible, assuming they don't want to audible. Packers... Taking about 10 or 15 seconds off that total. Now we're lining up with 10 seconds, 12 seconds to go, and they're running it all the way down to one second. Now, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound old, okay? And I know my dad listens to the show, so I'm not, I'm not hating on him. 
I'm just using this as an example. For years and years, my, my dad, it would drive him wild watching the Packers when they would, rarely, in the in the years previous to this and, and last year, when they would run the play clock all the way down because they were calling an audible, you know, he'd be sitting in his recliner, you know, we'd be doing whatever, and you'd hear, snap the ball! It would drive him nuts. He would yell at the TV, snap the ball! Now, I have 100% certainty that Aaron Rodgers knows exactly how much time is on the play clock, and then he has everything under control. I don't doubt his ability to get the ball off before the play clock expires. I'm not going to sit there and yell, but play after play, after play, there's a half a second on the play clock. Aaron Rodgers just barely gets the play call in. And now this has done a couple of things, right? Your lack of tempo has accomplished a couple of things. And it has led and is the root of some of the problems that we've talked about facing this offense in terms of inconsistency, penalties, dumb mistakes, lack of free plays. That all stems back to a lack of tempo. When you give the defense only a half, I mean, if you're constantly and consistently running the play clock down to a second, a half a second, and defenses know this. They're not dumb. They watch film. They prepare. They scheme. Unlike the Packers' offense, they know that Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, Mike McCarthy, ha- have gotten into a habit this year of consistently running the play clock down to fractions of a second. This means a couple of things. Why would a, a defensive lineman or a blitzing linebacker or safety or corner jump off sides? They know they're not snapping the ball. Why would they jump? Why would they be tempted to come across the line? Aaron Rodgers isn't snapping the ball with 11 seconds on the play clock. He's going to run it all the way down. So why would I jump? And if I'm a defensive player, if there's a half second left on the clock, on the play clock, oh boy, look out, because I'm pinning my ears back and I'm coming full speed because there's no risk of me jumping off sides. When, when he calls out, you know, 319, said, Hunt, that ball's coming. It's coming. Otherwise, it's a delay a game or a timeout. There is no, <laughs> there's no penalty. There's no punishment. There's no recourse for that defensive player pinning their ears back and getting ready to go with a half second left. That doesn't end well for the offense, ever. Now there's something to be said for, all right, getting the full scope of the defense. You want to see everything. You want to get a good read. I understand that. But you don't, need to use, you don't need to use 40 seconds of play clock to do so. If you are changing the play consistently at the line of scrimmage anyways, why are you huddling? Why huddle? Just get up on the play, read the defense, and then make your call. Because any, anything before that is a waste of time. If you are not... If you're not set on running a play, if you haven't decided your play until you line up at the line of scrimmage, why waste any time huddling? Why? Do, why? Why would you? All right, plays this, you know, spider Y, 45 cutback blast on three, set, go. All right, there's the play call. Now let's go get lined up. And in Aaron Rodgers' head, he's thinking, all right, we need to adjust this, 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 this. I don't want to do that. We're going to change it to this. What was the point of the huddle? What was the point of the original play call? It's going to get chopped up and dissected and changed around, and that's going to take 15 seconds, and all of a sudden we have a half a second, and oh boy, look out, every defensive lineman is coming downhill right at you, assuming you don't take a delay a game, or Mike McCarthy doesn't bail you out with a timeout. Lack of tempo. Get up on the line. Run a play before half a second is left on the play clock. You're just killing yourself. Uh, yesterday, I, was, I saw a tweet and I saw a blog post from Cheesehead TV about where the where are the free plays? Where are, the, where are the free plays for Aaron Rodgers in terms of getting players to jump off sides? This was a, a, a ga- an occurrence every game for the last couple of years. What, what has happened to this? Why would players jump off sides? Why would they be tempted to jump off sides? They know they're not snapping the ball. Because like I said, they watch film. They scheme. They know what the Packers are about. Because they never change it, and other teams know this, why would they be tempted to jump off sides? 11 seconds left on the play clock. That defensive lineman's laughing. You're not going to snap it. Stop trying to hard count me. Just wait in 10 seconds and I'm coming right downhill and I'm going to run you over. 
lack of free plays. It's easy. It's not even a not even a worthwhile question to be asked. Now, the Packers so far this year, and I have a stat, and this all comes back to tempo. It all stems back to tempo. This is from Bob McGinn Football earlier today. Uh, the Packers so far this season, four delay of game penalties. Four. Four delay a game. I wish somebody was keeping track. I wish there was a statistic for how many timeouts are used right before, you know, to, to prevent a delay of game, right? So they have four delay of game penalties on the season so far, one of which was last night. I wonder how many timeouts the Packers have used in prevention of a delay of game penalty. I'd be interested. I'm going to look tonight and I'm going to look tomorrow. Maybe that's something we can talk about tomorrow. But Bob McGinn saying, look, the trends aren't good, obviously. And I think it's laughable that anybody is questioning why. It's tempo. You look a couple of years ago when the Packers offense actually was high-flying. And every wide receiver was utilized. And they put up 35 points a game. And they got everybody involved. And they used them all. And Eddie Lacy was a complimentary piece. It's because they ran with... They, they played with tempo. They didn't drag their can all over the turf for an hour. They actually ran up. They forced the defense to adjust on the fly. They forced the defense to keep their personnel on the field. You want to start the game with your four tight end set? Beautiful. Let's pound the rock a couple of plays. And then let's go no huddle. Now, all of a sudden, because we have four tight ends in the game, the Patriots have responded with their bigger packages, right? They're probably their run stoppers, their gap fillers. I doubt they're in dime. There's not defensive backs all over the field. There's no way. They're not in nickel or dime. They're in some sort of base package with a bunch of big bodies on the line of scrimmage. Now, let's spread our tight Let's split our tight ends out. Let's spread them out now. Let's go. Now, let's go five wide and let's go with some tempo. Let's keep these big bodies on the field and we'll carve them up. We'll throw the ball to the sideline, between the numbers, down the seam. Doesn't matter because their big bodies can't keep up with our person with our personnel. And you saw that in 2011. You saw it in 2012, 2013, regardless of Aaron Rodgers' injury, something they still did. And in 2014, they did it beautifully, especially with Eddie Lacy and that big complement of tight ends that they had at the time. And we haven't seen that this year. It just hasn't been used. We've seen four tight end packages. We saw it a couple times yesterday with Robert Tanyan and Lance Kendricks. Mercedes Lewis. We saw Lance Kendricks used a little bit as a fullback and an extra blocker. But there was no there was no tempo, there was no speed. So the Patriots could rotate fresh bodies in and out and they and they could adapt to the Packers personnel. The exact opposite, obviously, of what you want. I'm interested to see going forward what the Packers do offensively in terms of their tempo. Because it, it's it blows my mind, and I know I'm not the only one who watch these Packer games and see consistent systemic problems coming from the Packers' lack of tempo, coming from their just reluctance to snap the ball with anything more than a half a second on the play clock. It blows my mind. And all the problems, not all the problems, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of the problems that this offense is facing, problems that we haven't seen in the past, are due to their lack of tempo and due to their lack of just urgency on offense. Yesterday, you saw the Packers down 14 points in the fourth quarter, using every damn second on the clock. And why? Just hasn't worked for him this year. And that was, I, I ranted about a couple things today. That was something that just irked me last night. I know I'm not the only one. It's not hard. Go faster, and it gets easier for you on offense. Every part of the NFL game today is geared towards offenses and quarterbacks. But if you slow it down, now all of a sudden the defense and the defensive staff on the other side has time to adjust, has time to adapt, has time to make changes and substitutions, and that's not advantageous for the offense. Take advantage of the opportunity the NFL is giving you and pick up the damn pace on offense. It's not hard. Uh, final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WK2I. couple things to talk about. We're going to wrap up the Packers talk. Uh, some news Brewers-wise this weekend. Not on the coaching staff, by the way, uh, but more so on the player side. 
and some awards being given out. And uh, a couple of brewers uh, getting jobbed, in my opinion, and I'm not the only one. So we'll talk about that to wrap up the show. As if you need any more negativity regarding your sports teams uh, here on WKTY today, we got to talk about it. And there's plenty more to look forward to in terms of baseball awards coming up, including some news that is broken during this very show. So we'll get to it all Brewers-wise. Wrap up the Packers talk as well next year on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. 96.7 FM, 5.80 AM. Hope you're having a killer Monday, regardless of how your teams did yesterday. Vikings got the win. We really didn't have a chance to touch on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Vikings offense looked good, but really what it came down to, the Lions couldn't block. I mean, Vikings with a, uh, with a franchise record 10 sacks in yesterday's game. That's going to, I mean, that tells the whole story right there. Uh, a little bit more intricate on terms of the Packers. Tempo, tempo, tempo. That's something that I'm going to be watching the next couple of weeks and see if that's something that they fix. Because I do think a lot of their problems come for that. So maybe we'll have to come back to that on this show, see if it improves, uh, and see if I'm proven right or wrong or relevant. You never know. <laughs> you never know. 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talking text line. Still got a couple of minutes here to get your thoughts and your comments in. Uh, on the Brewers front, we were talking about this this morning a little bit. Uh, the Golden Gloves, so so the way that the MLB gives out awards, right, it's, it's sequential. It's, it's, they go Golden Gloves, and they go... You know, silver sluggers, and they kind of spread it out over a couple of days. Well, Golden Gloves was yesterday, and I was, you know, obviously wrapped up in the in the Packer game, as I'm sure all of you were as well. And the news came out, and I saw it during the Packer game. I just didn't have time to look at it. I was obviously focused on the Packer game because I got I got to see stuff. I got to talk about stuff here, and it just can't be mad that the Packers lost. I mean, I got to watch for certain things. So this morning, I get up, and I was like, all right, watch a little Brewers. Uh, let's see. So I, I started reading a little bit about the Gold Gloves last night. Lorenzo Cain and Manny Pena. Uh, snubbed a little bit. I, I'm not saying they're robbed, but you look at the numbers, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, the best piece that I've found, and I'm going to retweet this on my Twitter account, at Keystroker Grant, breaks it all down. It's from Reviewing the Brew, blog post written by David Gasper. He's a student here at UWL. He does work in the area on other radio stations. Not going to say their name on this program. Absolutely not. This is really good work, though, uh, and, I, and this is where I got... Uh, statistics and, and all the backup baseball writers are interesting and baseball stats are interesting as well a lot of metrics a lot of stats and a lot of different things going to baseball if you've seen Moneyball, obviously you understand that so yesterday lorenzo kane and manny pina were the two hopefuls you figured that travis shaw christian yelich i mean they had other nominees they were long shots not surprised at all to see that neither one of those players made the cut a little bit shocking lorenzo kane didn't get the golden glove in center field he still has no golden glove uh, after being one of the best center fielders in baseball for a long time. And here's some of the numbers. So it was Ender Inciarte of the Braves who actually ended up winning the Golden Glove in center field for the National League. And you might say, okay, there's lots of good center fielders, but let's look a little bit closer at the numbers here. Get a, get a chance at this. Lorenzo Cain, 20 defensive runs saved this year. Uh, so defensive runs saved is basically you made a play that saved a run. I mean, that's, that's pretty clear cut. Uh, 11 outfield assists, three double plays turned, and a plus 13 fielding runs above average. That's that's pretty good. Now, there's a lot of good outfielders in baseball, and a lot of outfielders who put up really good numbers, especially with the extensive analytic and stat-taking capabilities that baseball writers and, and analysts now have. But let's look at Ender Inciarte. In comparison, 17 defensive runs saved, compared to Lorenzo Cain's 20. Six outfield assists, compared to Lorenzo Cain's 11. Three double plays turned, a tie for Lorenzo Cain, and plus 15 Fielding runs above 
average. I don't think it sounds particularly close. Now, I know more go into it than stats. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, and I just learned this yesterday, uh, voting for Golden Gloves and, and Cy Youngs and all these baseball awards isn't just stats. Stats only account for 25% of the vote. The other 75 comes from votes from fellow players and coaches. So maybe everybody hates Lorenzo Cain. I find it pretty hard to believe. Still a fantastic season for Lorenzo Cain. you got to figure he's pretty ticked. He's been one of the, the mainstays and one of the best center fielders in baseball for a long time now, and still has not been rewarded with a Golden Glove. Now, for the ninth time yesterday, Yadier Molina won the National League Gold Glove for a catcher. Uh, and look, there's not many better than Yadier Molina, previous or to come. I think he's going to go down as one of the best catchers in MLB history. But interestingly enough, once again, you start comparing them with other guys. Statistically, the logic really doesn't hold up. So let's let's compare some stats. While we're on the subject, Molina was minus one. Well, let's start up here. Molina threw 31% of would-be base runners out. Manny Pena threw out 41. That's a 10% difference. Molina was worth negative one defensive runs saved in 2018. Pena was worth plus six. That's not close. That's day and night. Molina allowed four pass balls. Pena allowed two. Molina allowed 39 wild pitches. Pena allowed 25. Molina, obviously, though, and as as David in his work for reviewing the abuse, the brew, excuse me, says... Molina has a reputation of being the best defensive catcher in baseball. Pena does not. So maybe reputation just gets you there by yourself. Statistics uh, on the Brewers' side, and especially on Lorenzo Cain's side, and, and Manny Pena, obviously not a flashy choice. But come on. Those statistics are night and day. That shouldn't have been hard. Lorenzo Cain especially. Just give him the gold glove. I mean, we gave DiCaprio an Oscar for freaking sakes. Give Lorenzo a golden glove. It's ridiculous, especially after the game. And that doesn't even account home run robberies, of which Lorenzo Cain had many, including one in the playoffs in Game 2. Multiple home run robberies this year. Had just about the best center field season than anybody could have. Forget what he did with the bat, just fielding the ball, which is, after all, what Golden Gloves are all about. Uh, A couple more awards yet to come, including the MVP. Some finalists were announced today. I'll pass that along to you. Your 2018 NL MVP finalist, Nolan Arenado. Javier Baez, Christian Yelich. By the way, Javier Baez didn't win a gold glove either. Now, I obviously don't keep tabs as closely on the statistics and the advanced metrics of Javier Baez as I do for the Brewers, especially for the purposes of this show. Wasn't Javier Baez, like, the best infielder in baseball this year? Forget defensive, and I know this is what Cubs fans would say, is forget defensive metrics, you know, forget statistics, just watch the guy. He does other things on the infield and in multiple positions that others just don't. And I was surprised. I thought, all right, Yelich will get the MVP, Baez will be a runaway for the gold glove at second or short or third, wherever they decide to, to post him up. It's just odd. Just odd, by the way. But your 2018 NL MVP finalists, Nolan Arenado, Javier Baez, and Christian Yelich, also announced were the leading candidates for manager of the year. And this is all coming from the baseball writers. What's the acronym? B-B-W-A-A. The Baseball Writers Association of America Bunch of old crabby guys, essentially, is what it comes down to. So those are your MVP candidates. I'm trying to find manager candidates. Well, to say the least, Craig Council in the top three, along with the manager for the Rockies, Bud Black, and the manager for Atlanta, who is the name escaping my mind, which is why I'm trying to find it, but who cares? Uh, Edward Inciarte takes the gold glove from Lorenzo Cain. Yadier Molina takes it from Manny Pena, and you might say, well, yeah, Makes sense. Yadier Molina is the better catcher and has been for a long time on reputation and on the eye test. Manny Pena's metrics, Manny Pena's statistics, 
a lot better. And it's not really even that close, to be completely honest. So there you go. Your gold glove, your gold glove let down, for lack of a better term, today here on the Wisco Sports Show as we start to wrap things up. Tomorrow, I want to continue to talk about Packers because there are issues on this Packers team that I don't even think we started to touch today in terms of where where might this team be going? Forget complaining about yesterday's game. They got a couple tough games. They got to go to Minnesota, to Seattle. They got to host Atlanta. Forget Miami's no pushover. They're, they come to town next Sunday. This team is is in grave danger right now on the outside looking in of missing the playoffs for the second year in a row. To boot, Aaron Rodgers is healthy this year. Does that bode well for Mike McCarthy? I can't imagine it does. And I look forward to continuing this conversation as we plot along through this week. And I hope to be hearing from you all week long in the five-star telecom talk and text line as well. Don't forget, Dave and Scrady back bright and early tomorrow morning. They'll continue to break this stuff down as well in a way that only they can. So make sure you're tuning in bright and early tomorrow morning. I will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'll talk to you then.